Peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading we just heard, uh, the Pentecost reading from the book of Acts. We begin with the word of prayer. Almighty God, we pray this day that you would grant us your Holy Spirit. We thank you, O Lord, that you have poured your Spirit out upon your church so that we might hear of the good news of our salvation in Jesus Christ and go forth boldly proclaiming his word. Now, Lord, we pray today that you would teach us to discern the Spirit, and you would help us to know the truth, and grant us your Holy Spirit now, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. There's something that takes place in our reading from uh, the book of Acts today, uh, I think that causes a little bit of trouble inside of us. And maybe it's just me, maybe I'm the only one who's kind of troubled by what uh, goes on in the text today, Uh, but I think that oftentimes we go to this passage and we leave it a little bit bothered. Now, we're bothered because of the way in which the Holy Spirit is working in this passage. Not that He's working, but there's something that He does that troubles us a little bit. We just heard it read, but but let's just have a quick review here. The disciples are in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is that festival that takes place 50 days after the Passover for the Jews. And many of the Jews had gathered in Jerusalem on that day uh, to celebrate Pentecost. Well, as the disciples are gathered together, they're in an upper room and they're praying and worshiping the Lord. And suddenly the Holy Spirit rushes upon the room and they are filled with tongues that they have never spoken before new languages they begin to speak on their head the spirit appears as in flames of fire and they begin to speak the gospel of jesus christ in multiple languages languages that are recognized by the people the jews from the other regions who have come to that area as languages that they speak when they're back at home and they're amazed by this And so they go out and they begin to preach this and and many people hear this and they're amazed. Some people are thinking that they're a little bit drunk at this point and they're trying to figure out what's going on. But then Peter stands up and begins to preach the gospel message in the one language everyone can understand there. He begins to preach the truth of Jesus Christ for the salvation of sinners and he tells everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Now, we didn't get to this part in the account, but apparently what happens after this is 3,000 people that day were cut to the heart by this preaching. And they said, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says, be baptized, every one of you. The promise is for you and your children. And he brings thousands of people to the waters of baptism so they might receive the salvation of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a wonderful account. This is exactly what happened on that day of Pentecost, and it is thrilling, and it is exciting, but there's something about it, I think, that troubles us. Because we look at that account today, and we say, if that's what the Holy Spirit did then, why is he not doing it in the same exact way now? Why not here among us today? I mean, if pastor's head catches on fire, there's not a lot of danger of that. There's not much hair there to burn. Nonetheless, I mean, that would be a bizarre thing, but why don't we see stuff like that? Why aren't we seeing every Sunday thousands upon thousands of people coming to the waters of baptism? Look at the thrilling events that took place. Look at the incredible results. Why don't we see the same things happening now? And if we're not seeing the same things happening now among us, does that mean the Holy Spirit's not at work? Does that mean we don't have the Holy Spirit? 
I mean, we love our worship services, but honestly, we weren't really sure we knew those hymns this morning, and this sermon's getting kind of boring. We want to see something more like Acts, right? Well, I want to tell you this morning that I can promise you and I guarantee you that the Holy Spirit is just as much at work here in this place today as he was on the day of Pentecost. The problem for us is is that we're looking at the wrong part of the passage to try and discern what the Holy Spirit is doing or how we, we're looking at the wrong part of the passage to figure out how we know if the Holy Spirit is at work. I think what I want to do today is I want to show you how the Holy Spirit is at work in this place. But before we get there, there's two sort of dangers I think we need to avoid bringing to the text today. Uh, Two idols we need to uh, get rid of before we truly understand what the Holy Spirit is up to. And the first idol we want to be careful of here, the first danger we want to avoid, is what we're going to call uh, the idolatry of the entertaining. Or the idolatry of the exciting far too often we equate the work of the holy spirit with things that are exciting or thrilling or perhaps even entertaining a number of years ago the los angeles kings that is a hockey team uh, the los angeles kings made an incredible run to the stanley cup it was a lot of fun to watch they weren't a very good team they barely got into the playoffs but suddenly they started winning a lot of games and they started winning a lot of games in a pretty thrilling fashion When they were on this incredible run, the commissioner of hockey, Gary Bettman, was actually interviewed about the Kings and how they were playing. And they asked him what he thought of all of this. And Gary Bettman said this, the Kings playoff run is everything sports should be, exciting, unexpected, and entertaining. And he's right. That is what sports should be. Exciting, unexpected, entertaining. That's a wonderful thing to see is when you experience a game or a season like that. That's a lot of fun in sports. The problem is, is that for us, we expect the same thing of the Holy Spirit. We want the Holy Spirit to be exciting, unexpected, and entertaining. Far too often if we leave a worship service Uh, and we want to discern whether or not the Holy Spirit was at work there, we try and figure it out by how excited we were by what we experienced that day. And far too often we confuse good and warm and excited feelings with the work of the Holy Spirit. We'll leave saying, oh, it was so Spirit-filled, but what does that mean, that we enjoyed it? That was exciting to us? That something happened we weren't ready for? I remember hearing an uh, interview a number of years ago with somebody who had attended a worship leaders conference. And at the worship leaders conference, they were teaching all the worship leaders uh, how to perform and how to play for uh, the congregation. And they said, if you really want a good emotional experience from the congregation, here are the chords you're going to want to play. Here are the notes you are going to want to play. This is me playing a guitar, by the way, in case you were wondering. Um, Here's what you want to do, and this is how to get a good response from the people. And then they would do this, and then they would give credit to the Holy Spirit for the response. But the question is, was it the Holy Spirit, or was it a manipulation of the emotion? See, we've got to be very careful in our culture that we do not confuse the work of the Holy Spirit with the idolatry of the entertaining. Because we love to be entertained. We, want, we love to be excited. We love to have these incredible, exciting things happen. And we figure that if the God of all of creation is going to show up in our midst, it's always going to be exciting and thrilling. It's always going to look like Pentecost Sunday. 
Now to be sure, Pentecost was an exciting and thrilling day. It is amazing to see the number of baptisms that took place. It's amazing to see what the apostles were actually doing in that moment. But you have to keep in mind, after this, the disciples, what they did was they established congregations where the people would gather to pray, to listen to messages of the Scriptures, uh, to uh, have the Lord's Supper, and to tithe to take care of each other financially. The work of the Spirit produced normal, everyday, Sunday services that we kind of even experience to this day. So things changed. Is the Holy Spirit less at work in those normal services than he he was on Pentecost Sunday? No! No! It's just you can't control the way the Holy Spirit is going to do things. So it's wrong to equate excitement with the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing. Second thing we have to avoid when we come to the text today is we have to avoid the idolatry of results. The idolatry of results. On the day of Pentecost, when the apostles preached and when Peter gave that message, 3,000 people converted. And there's all those baptisms. And again, this was a wonderful and exciting thing. And we see this and we think to ourselves, well, if a church is growing like that, it must be the work of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes that's true. But we have to understand how that sort of thing appeals to our high-powered, success-driven, results-oriented culture. We figure that the Holy Spirit must be found in the cash value of what happens in a church. A church grows, must be the work of the Holy Spirit. But does that mean if a church is, is dying, that the Holy Spirit's not at work in that church? Does that mean if a congregation is growing older that the Holy Spirit's kind of done with them and he's moved on to something else? Uh, How successful are your programs? How many new members have you brought in? How many were non-Christians? How full is your sanctuary? These become the gauges by by which we try and figure out if the Holy Spirit is present. And sometimes the Holy Spirit produces things like that. But at other times, he doesn't. Think of the book of Acts. Day of Pentecost, 3,000 conversions. A few days later, Peter and John are thrown in jail for preaching the same message. Paul is constantly stoned and kicked out of cities and thrown in jail and persecuted for preaching the gospel. Sometimes like five people convert. Sometimes they get attacked. And sometimes thousands convert. All I'm trying to point out here today is that you cannot look at results for proof of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the preaching of the gospel brings in thousands, and sometimes a great marketing campaign brings in thousands. We've got to be very careful that we're not equating the Holy Spirit with these other things. So we can't look to the results, and we can't look uh, to uh, uh, the excitement and and the thrilling things that are going on. So where do we look? What do we look to to figure out if the Holy Spirit is at work? Well, I think it's a little bit later in the passage where we clearly see the work of the Spirit. Now, to be sure, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit was producing those exciting things, and there were the thousands converted. But it was because of something else that takes place in the passage today. It was because of something else we see the Holy Spirit do. And that comes from the preaching of the Word. The Holy Spirit is always to be found in the preaching of his word. 
It comes just a little bit later after all these thrilling things take place and everyone's kind of settled down and listening and Peter begins to preach and he has a very long sermon. We only heard half of it this morning, uh, but the real linchpin of the sermon comes a little bit later and I want to read that section to you now. Peter says this, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, who was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. There. That's it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The delivering of Jesus Christ crucified to guilty sinners for the forgiveness of their sins. Jesus tells us, in fact, in the book of John, how we will be able to know whether or not we are hearing from the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will pour out my Spirit upon you and He will testify to you concerning Me, Jesus says. The Spirit is the one who testifies to Christ. So how do you know if the Holy Spirit is at work among you? It's not by excitement. It's not by results. It's by whether or not you have heard that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior. It's a remarkable thing to see that after Peter preaches this, the people are convicted to the heart. That means the Spirit used the law of God to show them their sins. And they said, what must we do? And Peter says, do? I got a gift for you. He brings them to the waters of baptism, and as, as we said earlier, and says, receive baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. The promise is for you and your children. And there, once again, the Spirit is at work, delivering the gospel of Jesus Christ into the lives of those people. How do we know the Spirit was at work? Because the Word was proclaimed and faith was created. They heard and they believed because the Spirit always is at work through the Word. The Spirit has promised to always be at work in the proclamation of Jesus Christ for the salvation of the world. And sometimes this is accompanied by miracles. And sometimes it's not. And sometimes this results in numerical success, and sometimes it doesn't. But always, always, the Holy Spirit, when he shows up, brings the preaching of Jesus Christ for sinners. So I told you at the beginning of the sermon that I promised you the Holy Spirit was at work in this place. And if you want to know that it's true, then listen to this. Hold on to your seats, because here he comes. You are sinners all deserving of God's punishment and wrath. But God in His mercy has seen fit to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place and to shed His blood for the forgiveness of all of your sins so that you stand before God on account of Jesus Christ alone, forgiven, redeemed, and holy. In your baptism, you were made to be the children of God. And you now belong to Him. The Holy Spirit has come to you now in this word and given you this promise so that you believe the truth that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, forgiven and redeemed. And would you look at that? There he was. The Holy Spirit struck again. Amen. Let's pray.
We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have granted us your spirit by giving us the preaching of Jesus Christ. We pray now, O Lord, that you would continue to sustain us in your faith. Grant us your spirit to carry us all the way to the day of our everlasting life. Now have mercy on us and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.